We're going to take a look at Romans 12, 1 through 2. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. As you're turning there, you can put a finger in Genesis chapter 22 as well. I think the songs really fit with the message tonight of surrender and being a a living sacrifice. And and beautiful songs, but in some ways hard to sing, especially uh, the second song of of praying that God would purify us, uh, of praying that he would would take whatever he he desires. And that that sounds really good, but then, then it's hard, isn't it? If you really put everything on the table before the Lord and say, God, I'm, I'm a living sacrifice. I, I'm all yours in that, in that surrender. It can be difficult to, to get to that place of surrender. And when we're at that place of, uh, of surrender, that's so many times where the Lord uh, meets us. And so let's surrender afresh uh, to the Lord. He really does hear us. He's here with us tonight. It's not just a routine that we go through on a, on a Wednesday night. You know, what joys and challenges are you going through in your life? What do you bring in with you tonight? Let's give that to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're merciful, that you don't give us what we deserve, that you're gracious to us. We want to respond to your grace, to respond to your mercy and, and surrender afresh to you. Those areas of our lives that we're maybe we're holding on to, that we're not placing it at your feet we want to let go of tonight. We thank you that you know us. You know what we're going through. You know our joys and our struggles, and we give you those burdens. Lord, I thank you for everyone serving at VBS, from all of the teens to the adults to Doug and Beth. And Lord, we just ask that you would refresh them tonight as they're midweek that you would bless the kids, that you would plant your truth deep within their hearts. The knowledge of God would be deep in their hearts and their lives. So would you bless our study, and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul besieges us. He urges us. He he pleads with us based on the mercy of God. Grace and mercy are so powerful. Have you ever received grace in your life? You've done something wrong. You deserve consequence. You deserve justice. But instead of receiving punishment, you receive grace. It's been said this way. If, if you were to punch someone in the face and they gave you a $50 bill, that would be grace. And God has been so gracious to us. We've offended him with our sin, but he's given to us what's most valuable, his son. Being a living sacrifice is not a responsibility to earn salvation. It's not what we do to try to earn or deserve God's favor. We're not guilted in to being a living sacrifice. Instead, 
We've already received God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ. We've received his favor, his countenance, his smile is is upon us. We're justified, we're declared righteous. The position that we've received in Christ. We have an eternal hope, an eternal home. We have a father that loves us, a savior that's ever present with us. The mercies of God, they're new every morning. His love never fails. In light of his grace, in light of his mercy, we get to respond. And we respond by presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. If you're taking notes tonight, we're going to focus on four words from our text. And the first is present. Present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Would you examine this with me for a moment in your heart? is what are you worshiping tonight? What has your attention? How do we evaluate what we worship? What are we thinking about? What do we talk about? Where do we invest our time? Where do we invest our our treasure, our our finances? That really reveals what we worship. On a surface level, I think all of us would say, well, I worship Christ. Christ has my attention. Christ has my devotion. I'm investing my life in in the things of God. But the truth is, a lot of times we drift, don't we? We get distracted. And there are those moments that we worship, but there's those moments that we don't worship. For me, worship is the most clear when I am in that place of meditating upon the love of God, meditating on the grace of God, the goodness of God, then worship flows from that place of appreciation of what Christ has done to us, done for us. As we see the grace of God, then to make that choice that we're going to present ourselves. But this is the truth about worship, is all of us were created to worship. And we're going to worship something or someone. We're going to present ourselves on some altar of worship. And true joy and satisfaction, God is, is glorified and we're most satisfied when we worship the Lord. And what Paul is talking about with being a, a living sacrifice is worship. Your reasonable service. Some translations translate it as your reasonable act of worship. That service is speaking of, of worship. Where God has my awe, he has my heart, I'm loving him with my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, and I'm presenting my body, the nature of the sacrifice, the nature of the living sacrifice is, is holy. Saying, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to walk in your ways. Would you empower me? I'm choosing to follow you. I want to take us back to Genesis chapter 22 because we see the word worship used for the first time in the Bible. There is a term called the principle of first mention, and it's whenever a word is mentioned for the first time, oftentimes it unlocks a biblical truth for us. And in Genesis 22, when worship is used, I think that we get a very clear picture of what it means to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. We get a really clear picture of worship. The stage for Genesis 22 is you have Abraham. God had promised to give him a son through Sarah, Isaac. Isaac is the promised child. Through Isaac, they would have descendants as the stars. 
innumerable amount of descendants. And Abraham gets a very odd instruction from the Lord in regards to Isaac in verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. What is God testing? Abraham's worship. What is most important to Abraham? Is it God or is it Isaac? Is it this promised child? Isaac means laughter. Part of his name is, it's a little bit hilarious that such an old couple is having a child, but also the joy. Isaac brings joy to Abraham and Sarah as they've long awaited to be parents. And so here, God is is testing Abraham. God knows the answer, but Abraham needs to know the answer. God in his love will not tempt us with sin, but he will test us because he's not willing to be second place in our lives. Even to good things. He wants to be more important than your family. There's something that comes before your marriage, and that is your love for Jesus Christ. Marriage flows out of our love for for Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to be more important to us than than our kids. He wants to be more important to us than serving, than ministering. Sometimes we start to worship the ministry that God has given to us. So, So he'll test. And here God tests Abraham, and Abraham's response is, here am I. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. In this passage is a clear foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus is the only begotten who is sacrificed in the land of Moriah. Moriah is the the mountain range leading to the temple mount. Jesus being crucified in Jerusalem, in the land of of Moriah. Jesus is a living sacrifice unto the Father. Here God tests Abraham and says, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to kill him. I want you to place him upon the burnt offering. Unfortunately, I think we need to talk through this because of the sickness of our culture don't take this story to kill any of your kids, right? Some of you got going, God spoke to me the way that he spoke to Abraham. We don't see this in the context of the whole entire Bible. And stick with me because Abraham doesn't kill his child. God never wants you to kill, kill your child. Sometimes people in their twisted state can take scriptures and get them all out of, of context. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Amazing. Abraham gets up and obeys immediately. What happens if Abraham thinks about this for a few days? What if maybe he even talks this over with with Sarah? How many times have we talked ourselves out of obedience? God speaks to us from the word. We know it's exactly from the word. The Lord's saying, hey, I want you to do this. And instead of obeying immediately, we delay and delay to the point where I've talked myself out of it. And amazing to me that Abraham just gets up early in the morning. He's like, God told me to do this. I'm going to do it. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Third day, significant 
Christ rose from the dead on the third day. God shows him the exact spot. And here's where worship is mentioned. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. The lad and I, we're going to go and we're going to worship. Abraham is offering his entire life to the Lord by surrendering his son. There's no greater sacrifice as a parent than to say, God, my kids belong to you. They're yours. I'm placing them in your hands. I'm putting my relationship with you above even my relationship with, with the kids. But Isaac is also being a living sacrifice. Isaac is probably old enough here to, to be an older teenager, old enough to say, what? I, I'm the sacrifice? We've got the wood, we've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Oh, oh, it's me? I don't think so, Dad. I'm not going along with this. But Isaac and Abraham are both worshiping. And church, this is the nature of presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. This is what the songs expressed that we sang tonight, is God, I give everything to you. God, I, I love you. I'm not, I'm not holding anything back from you. One of the ways that we worship is giving financially, tithing. And why is that important? Because it's representing to the Lord, I'm not holding on to anything. This money doesn't belong to me. It frees our hearts from, from greed. To, to worship God, say, say God, I, I'm not holding back. I don't know about you, but the Spirit of God is reaching to my heart tonight saying, Eric, I want it all. I want you to surrender all to me. I, I don't want you to, to hold on to anything and think that you control it or you possess it. There's also something very important here is Abraham says that we will come back to you. He believed that if he killed his son in obedience to God, that God was going to raise him from the dead because Isaac was uh, the promised child. So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac definitely knows something's up. Then Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering so the two of them went together. Notice how this is worded. God will provide for himself the lamb. Speaking of Jesus, ultimately. Abraham probably doesn't even realize that he is ultimately speaking of Christ. God is going to provide himself as a lamb to be the sacrifice for our sins. So they go together to the place that God had showed them. In verse 9, Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there, and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and laid on the altar upon the wood, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So, so what a scene. You know, Isaac upon the altar, and Abraham puts him on the altar, and he's ready to sacrifice his son, and we can't help but see Jesus. Jesus willingly going to the cross, and the father allowing for his son to be killed for our sins. As a parent, we know this to some degree, 
the love that we have for our kids and God's love to, to send his own son. But Abraham was willing to do it. Isaac was willing to do it. They're examples of worship. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham passed the test. God says, I know, I know that I'm number one in your life. I know that you worship me. I know that you fear me, that you hold me in highest regard. Can you look back on your life and go, okay, life was kind of cruising along. Here came the Isaac, here came the blessing, and I got caught up in, in the blessing, and then all of a sudden God tested me and said, okay, Eric, am I more important to you than this blessing? Am I more important to you than this house? Am I more important to you than your family? Am I more important to you than, than serving in ministry? And sometimes we pass the test. And sometimes we fail the test. We go, well, this one revealed a big fat F. That I really wasn't surrendered to the Lord. I thought I was surrendered to the Lord. I said I was surrendered to the Lord in this area. But the test really revealed that I wasn't. Okay, talk that over with the Lord. Lord, forgive me. I really do want you to be first in my life based on your character and uh, your mercy. So in this story with Abraham and Isaac, we really see what it means to present ourselves in worship. Let's go back to Romans chapter 12 and now look at our second word. And do not be conformed to this world. So first present and the second, catch this, rebel. You've got biblical permission to rebel. What am I talking about? Well, if you were here Sunday, Saturday, don't be squirrel, squeezed, not squirreled, squeezed into the world's mold. The world is trying to press us into its mold. And God is calling us as we respond as living sacrifices based on his mercy to not get conformed to the world's mold. So how is the world's message starting to affect us? And have we in our hearts purposed to say, I'm not going to go along with the world's agenda? Flip over to Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. Because Daniel to me is a great example of not being conformed to this world. Daniel 1.8. Daniel's taken captive to Babylon. They would take the best from Judah. He's a young man. He's a teenager. They change his name, put him into University of Babylon, also referred to as CU Boulder, right? <laughs> go in debt to go into the University of Babylon right there, right? It's, it, it's pretty clear the, the message of see you Boulder, not, not saying you don't go to college, but go with your eyes open if you're going to go to see you Boulder. But that, that's where Daniel went to school. That's the university that he's enrolled in. 
And they want to take away his relationship with God and instill in him the values of, of Babylon. The problem was, is it came with a diet. And it was a diet against what God had told them. God gave to the children of Israel a specific diet that they were to eat. And we get to verse 8 and it says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not be, that he might not defile himself. Daniel put his life on the line here. He's a slave. And for him to say, hey, I don't, I don't want to eat the pork. I'm not having the pork chop because God has called me to something different. They could have easily said, we're killing you. But he didn't care. He'd already purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to be conformed to the world. I think that's the key. I think that's the key for us tonight here at the end of June 2022 as we have to look at culture, look at the message of the world, and say, look, I'm choosing, I'm purposing in my heart, I'm aligning myself with Christ. So then when the temptation comes, it's like, no. I've already decided I'm not going along with the world. I'm going to follow Christ. And we're all going to have these moments, these moments in our lives. We've already probably had some in the past. We're going to have some in the future where you have got a decision to make. Are you going to honor God or are you going to honor men? Are you going to honor the word of God or the world system and saying, nope, I'm not getting squeezed into the world's mold? I think that there is big decisions that fall into this, and then there's everyday life that falls into this as well. The world system right now is one where there's not a lot of friendliness. There's not a lot of looking each other in the eye, being respectful, being kind. Hey, how are you doing? I think we were already down that road, and then when COVID hit and we wore masks, and that made it even worse. Now we're totally used to not making eye contact and we just walk around each other like, you don't exist, you don't exist, you don't exist. Well, we can not conform to the world by doing what? Looking people in the eye and saying, how are you? It's good to see you. You know, greeting is important at church. This might be the only place someone gets greeted with the love of Christ all week. Hey, good to see you. How are you? How is your week? But we don't want to keep it here. We want to take it out to the world and when we're at the grocery store, we're going through the line to stop and ask the person, hey, how's your day going? You having a good day? It seems kind of busy in, in here today. Probably don't, don't get a lot of that. that that's not being conformed uh, to, to the world. So in these big decisions like Daniel had, but also everyday life to say, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm not going to be conformed to this world. I am going to rebel. So if you've ever wanted to rebel... Now you get to, all right? You're able to say, I get to go counterculture and follow Christ. And if you study the life of Daniel, which I encourage you to do, you see that God used him greatly. God used him greatly. God raised him up before several kings in a way that only God can do because Daniel had purpose in his heart. He's saying, I'm not going to conform. I'm living first and foremost to the Lord and God was gracious and said, I, I'm going to use this young man throughout all of Daniel's life. So present, rebel, and then be transformed.
The next aspect to, to this text is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where transformation takes place. Anybody like running on a treadmill? Would you admit to it? Okay, you like running? Pablo likes running on treadmill. We got counseling for you guys <laughs> after, after service. But treadmills are kind of boring to run on a treadmill compared to running out on, on a trail. Now, sometimes I'll run on a treadmill, but I'd much rather run just out and, out and about. But all of us have a treadmill on our mind, okay? Where we have a pattern of thought that we are just thinking through, throughout the day. So what's the treadmill of your thought? Another way to put that is what are you meditating on? What are, what are you thinking about? And God wants our minds to be renewed in the knowledge of who he is. So it's not just enough to reject the world's message and the world's agenda, but we need truth. Jesus said, know the truth and the truth will set us free. This takes some work, it takes some discipline, some relying upon the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. God, would you give me a hunger for your word and ability to understand it? If you're not sure if we live in a spiritual battle or not, how come it's so hard to get into God's word? I'll go to spend time in God's word and I'm extremely distracted. I'm thinking about all the things that I need to get done. But when I go to read ESPN, read about the Avs winning the Stanley Cup, I'm not distracted. I'm focused, right? It's easy to get the family to in and out. You go watch a movie together, but get, get the family in the minivan to all go to church together and heads start spinning, right? It's like, well, what happened? We're trying to get into God's word together as, as a family. My, my brother and I, we would misbehave to the greatest degree whenever my dad got the Bible out to do family devotions, right? It's like we were the biggest knuckleheads when it was family devotions time. So there's a spiritual battle that comes. Satan knows the power of the word. He doesn't want your mind renewed in the word of God. You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of us tonight were like, man, I feel like staying home. I'm tired. I'm worn out, you know? I'm just going to kick back and watch some Netflix. And then your wife's like, no, we're going to church. And you're like, okay, we got to go to church, right? There's that spiritual battle because we need our minds to be renewed. But as we choose through discipline to say, I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to memorize God's word. I'm going to meditate upon God's word. That's where the transformation comes through the knowledge of God. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. There's nothing like the word of God. You can't replace it. In our time, in our generation, we desperately need the word of God. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He's the best teacher. Make time for the word of God. God can use 15 minutes in his word every day to radically change your life. It's the greatest discipline that we can have is to spend time with God in prayer and his word, to allow our minds to be renewed in the word of God. Philippians 4, verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, 
meditate on these things. <laughs> Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus is true. He's noble. He's praiseworthy. He's filled with virtue. So as you think about Jesus, as you put your mind upon Jesus, you are uh, transformed. Ephesians 5 instructs us as husbands to wash our wives in the water of the word. There's a cleansing impact that comes from the word of God. So present, rebel, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then finally, prove that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God as you respond to God's mercy and are a living sacrifice, placing yourself on the altar like Isaac, like Abraham, as you rebel against the message of the world, transformed by the renewing of your mind, then the result is you're able to prove what's the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. You can't put a price tag on knowing that you're in the will of God. That's a great place to be. This is what God wants me to be doing. This is who God wants me to be. I am where God wants me to be. A few verses I want to share with you on God's will. You can just write them down. It's 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lusts of the flesh like the Gentiles who do not know God. One of the aspects of the will of God is sexual integrity, to walk in his design for sexuality. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Jesus knew the joy of walking in the Father's plan. Here he is, he's 12 years old, a terrible day for Mary and Joseph. They leave Jerusalem to go back to Nazareth, thinking that Jesus is with some other friend or family member, and they realize they've lost Jesus. Imagine the pressure of trying to raise God's son, and then you lost him. In a panic, they go back to Jerusalem. It's packed due to the feast, looking for Jesus, looking for Jesus, searching, 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 stress building, stress building. And the last place they look is the temple. And Jesus never left. And he's blowing the minds of the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders at, at 12 years old. And I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing? And how did he respond? You should have known that I was about my father's business. And it didn't register for Mary and Joseph. They're like, what, what are you talking about? But Jesus gave us his marching orders that he was going to be about the will of the father. He was going to do what the father wanted him to do. At the end of Jesus' life in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he knew that he was moments away from the cross, he cries out to the Father and he says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Speaking of the gravity of the suffering of the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He lived in the will of the Father. He lived this out as the living sacrifice being able to, to prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. As we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, rebel against the world, 
be renewed in our minds, then we know what the will of God is. And for some, you know what God's will is, and you're walking in it, and it's difficult, I'd encourage you to stay there. Because you're in the shadow of Christ. You're in the umbrella of Christ. He, he's going to be faithful. How many of you know that the will of God's not always easy? You know, for, for Jesus, walking in the will of the Father wasn't easy. Was it worthwhile? Absolutely. Walking in God's will, is it worthwhile? Yes. Is it easy? No. But that's where the surrender gets real. Like, okay, God, I want to be a living sacrifice. I know this is your will. It's not comfortable, but, but I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here with you. And would you comfort me and would you empower me? You may find yourself saying, you know, I don't really know what the will of God is. Well, go through the process of Romans 12, 1 through 2. Take God up on his offer and say, I want to be able to prove what, what the will of God is. Surrender yourself to the Lord. Reject the world's message. Get in the word. And you'll discover the, the will of God for, for your life. And then others of you, you know what God's will is, but you're choosing to disobey it. And tonight, would you turn? Just talk to Jonah, how that worked out for him. Jonah knew what God's will was to go to Nineveh. He's like, I'm not going to Nineveh. Those guys are turkeys. They've persecuted us. I don't want them to be forgiven. And ultimately, God went out. And God's going to win out. This section of scripture is so rich in meaning. It's, it's a section that we can come back to daily, meditating on his mercies and then surrendering to God, being that living sacrifice uh, to him. Though it's not always easy, there's no better place than to be in the hands of our Father. There's no better place. I don't want to be in control. I think you've learned you don't want to be in control. We want to surrender to him to be in that place of worship, to be in that place of being living sacrifices. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We pray that we would know the height and the depth and the width of, of your love, that you would reveal your love to us, Jesus, in, in a greater way. And we don't want to tonight just come and give you lip service and you know my heart and you know our hearts and those areas where it's difficult to surrender. But we choose to surrender because you're good. We choose to worship and to present ourselves afresh upon your altar. Would you give us a hunger for your word and the ability to understand it? For those that have never read the Bible, would you give them a hunger for it? For those that have set the Bible aside, for those that are currently eating up the Bible, wherever we're at in that journey, Lord, would you renew our hunger for your word and would you transform us? So God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.